welcome to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I will be your host for this evening. Now, tonight is a um it's a special show and I'm going to call it All Roads Lead to Writing Adventures. Now, I know why it's called that and you will know why it's called that because joining me this evening is a gentleman by the name of Stephen Rhodes. So, hello, Stephen. Hello. <laughs> See, there you go. <laughs> I, uh, I like your pun. <laughs> <laughs> what, just like, no, it's it. You know, we try our best. But, um, are you well? I hope you are. I'm great, thank you. Yeah, how are you? Yeah, I'm very, very good. Thank you, first of all, for coming for coming on um, this evening and agreeing to have a chat with us. The reason, one of the reasons I asked Stephen on the show is last year, um, towards the. I think it was the tail end, middle the tail end of last year, uh, Stephen appeared on the Twin Humanities podcast with a uh, friend of the show, Paddy and CJ, and when I heard him and what he had to say about, um, he was talking about video games and writing in video games, I was delighted to see that he was also quite involved in the kind of the, the RPG role-playing game scene as well as doing a bit of tabletop himself. So um, I asked him, and he said yes. So thank you very much, Stephen. Hey, my pleasure. <laughs> now, um, for those who haven't listened to the show before, the reason that we do this is quite simply there are not enough podcasts about board games. I have uh, checked, scoured Google and iTunes. Definitely none others apart from us, so there's no need for you to check. So just stay tuned and listen. Normally what we do in the show is we like to have a kind of a, a dig back into the past before we kind of scurry around in the present and then jump a bit forward into the future. So Stephen, do you want to maybe tell us a little bit about kind of how you kind of got involved in maybe the hobby, the kind of the tabletop side of things yourself? Sure. Um, I think like most uh nerds of my generation um there was a few things we were exposed to especially in the uk um like i vividly remember going to stay at a friend's house i think it might have been like my first sort of sleepover type thing okay um and my friend who i was staying at his house he lived opposite a games workshop um so i was walking to his house and i was like what are all these things in this window here all these little cool miniatures, because I'd, like, you know, played Monopoly and dabbled in, like, you know, action figures and toys and stuff as a little kid. I think I must have been seven or eight at this point. And he explained to me what it was, and then he had some, and he showed me the games. Um, And then that was it. It's like a little switch went off in my head. And it was like, that was my obsession for a long time. And then from that, I discovered, you know, I went to the Games Workshop store to play and met friends who, you know, a lot of those friends I still, like, have today and, like, we've grown up together and um, through those we then, you know, I was introduced to, like, Magic the Gathering and and D&D and uh, other miniature games and and it was just a colossal spiral from that point on. Um, Do you remember the first kind of good Games Workshop stuff that you got, the things that were your, your kind of pride and joy? I had, the first things I ever got were two Space Marines and two Skinks from Warhammer Fantasy. 
So I had models from two different games and I would just make up rules for them and make them fight in my bedroom until, because I see, I wasn't, I had a very young baby sister when I was like eight. She had just been born. Yeah. So I wasn't allowed the miniatures in the house because oh. they, my parents were really afraid of her swallowing the pieces because they were lots of tiny plastic pieces. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't really allowed it for a couple of years. So I just had a very few a selection of models that were like just like singular piece things. And I made up my own games with them because I didn't, I was too young and too little to really um, appreciate the hobby. And then I think when I was like 10, I actually started, I got armies and I went, went and played in the shop. And so, yeah, but I still, I have the, I don't, I don't, I don't have them now because I've moved several countries. And yeah. We're talking a couple of decades later, but I, I remember having two skinks and two space marines, which were painted awfully. <laughs> and I made rules up and rolled dice and they, the space marines and the two skinks fought for endless wars against each other for a good while until I actually got a space marine on. There never seems there never there playing. never seems to be kinda of like there's either when it comes to painting, people are either really, really good at painting or they're really, really bad at painting. <laughs> and I've seen and that, the ones I've done they look like people, you know, it looks like stuff just like thrown kinda of paint at them. But then I've got some mates that have um started playing um they started got they got the Blood Bowl game recently mm. and they were like yeah and like here you go look i just did these you know oh, cool. uh, you know they're not very good they're not very good and they kind of bring them out and you're just like this they should be in like in a museum they're just they're just <laughs> beautiful i think it's it's very different now like um there's so many resources on the internet and even games workshop like to their credit produce so much hobby support now like they do youtube videos like every day about how to paint stuff and their paint range is really easy to understand and it's like it it's very much if you pick it up now it's very easy to see like to follow simple paint techniques to get decent results and i think i think they've done really well doing that you used to get like copies of white dwarf and it used to be kind of be follow the instructions to paint this giant and then you'd yeah. have it sitting in front of you and you'd be trying to fo- follow the photographs, but you'd never, ever quite end up with the, the same thing. Yeah, because the photos they use are like um, heavy metal, like the professional painting <laughs> yeah, exactly. team of the studio. It's like, and this is what it will look like. It's like, no, no, it doesn't. It doesn't look like that. <laughs> it doesn't look it. It looks like I've spilled it into my dinner. <laughs> yeah, it, it should say at the bottom, like, um, people who painted this have got... 20 years painting absolutely some of the best in the world absolutely there's like it's like the first the first thing would say and and you start off with the wash and then the second thing should just say and then just give up (laughs) and realize yeah realize you're never going to paint a giant as well as him (laughs) because that's his job and paint it the flesh color and then wash it with devil and mud just (laughs) endless washes of devil and mud until it looks okay and then stop and then and then you'd paint like one spike on his club kind of white and that would be the only thing that was white in the whole thing all the other for some reason all the other all the other spikes ended up covered in wash so you'd have this giant yeah. kind of standing there with some kind of bone type club with one little speck of white that you were like so precious about and look at this bit here this is the bit I've painted really really well what about the rest of it it doesn't matter just concentrate on the nice jacket yeah, just look at this bit here <laughs> nice jacket well, look at it look at it from two meters away if you keep it two meters away it looks really good don't get close exactly but it's really annoying because I um when I was growing up and I was like properly deep into the hobby when I was like a teenager 
I actually got quite good at painting, like not not by today's standards, but like I used to win like awards in in the games workshops and like win painting competitions and stuff. So I was I, I was felt I was getting okay, and then I stopped when I went to uni because you know other stuff was around yeah. that required attention, like alcohol. <laughs> exactly. So it's, and it's really, I look back now. It's really difficult. Now that I pick up the hobby again and I'm painting again, I look back and think, God, if I just carried it on through like that ten years hiatus that I took from painted models. I know. Like, I wonder how good I would be now. But, think about all the think about all the money you could have spent on miniatures instead of spending on beer. Yeah. But then nah. <laughs> all those memories I would still have. <laughs> Think of, yeah, think of all the friends you wouldn't have. <laughs> you'd, be, yeah. you'd be living in a house flat, kind of like surrounded by about 20 or 30,000 kind of miniatures of various yeah. stages of painting, and you'd be an absolute expert and you'd be winning trophies, but you'd be doing it kind of just a little bit alone. <laughs> kind in of, my mum's basement. Kind of <laughs> you graduated on from games. You said you were grad- graduate, graduated on from Games Workshop. I'll get my teeth in. And you touched into Magic the Gathering, and then you headed into into kind of D and D. Is that kind of your bag? Then is that what you kind of still enjoy to this day? If you have the choice between like a board game over a over a role playing game, I mean they're very different experiences. I mean, I've always been, I've always been into storytelling and the narrative aspects of games. Even when I played Games Workshop, I would always have a story for my army and try and work stories into my games. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I discovered D and D, it was like it was like the universe going, "Oh, this is this is like the culmination <laughs> of all those things that you like like just put together in one place." And I was like, "Oh my god!" And yeah, when I discovered that role playing became a big part of my life, and I did it a lot, and I did it for so many different systems and. Um, I dabbled in all sorts of things. I still, I still played Magic and I still played Games Workshop games yeah. and tabletop games. But yeah, when I discovered D and D, that was really a, a pivotal moment in like my development as a creative uh, individual. Um, what verse? It really helped. It, it helped like channel like what I was like what I was trying to um, express. It allowed me to channel it in a, in a really focused way. So I would write campaigns for my friends and. and and we would play every other week, but it's you can't really choose like D and D. I always feel like D and D takes you know it takes a bit of organization and logistics to to create that environment. Whereas a board game, it's like people around. You might not even be planning to play board games, but it's like, oh hey, should we just yeah. like open a board game and play? And that's like, yeah, cool, let's do that. Yeah. Um. So it's a lot more. Board games are like the if we compare it to a drug, board <laughs> games are like the instant hit. Okay. Whereas, <laughs> whereas. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons is more like the slow burn. <laughs> okay. So the... <laughs> Any other drugs you'd like to compare it to? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I don't know why I went to drugs. I'm not, I'm not even, I have I'm no, not really I have, taken I have, that listen, drugs, I'm just listening. I'm not judging. Not even, <laughs> not even at the back end. I just wanted to pick something that people might relate to. I don't know. Thanks. <laughs> like that. And there people you like drugs, right? That's Stephen, Stephen Rhodes telling you all. You're a bunch of junkies. Yeah. My opinions uh, <laughs> do not represent any of my employers. Oh, we could put that disclaimer at the beginning. That's fine. We'll just put it. We'll put it in capitals. It's not. It's yeah. not a problem. Just shout it out really loud. <laughs> Warning. Yeah, dear. So, um, I mean, 
Are you playing any, have you played any board games kind of recently that you have kind of um, grabbed, kind of grabbed your attention of late? Yeah, I've been, I don't own it, but um, a very good friend of mine, a colleague at work, um, he got the Conan board game. All right. Um, and we've been playing through the scenarios in that, and uh, it's it's a really really good game. All right, okay. it's really really fun. Um, it's like it it's it sits somewhere between a board game and a miniature game. Like it's got it's got like a, it's quite a nice hybrid. It's very much in the vein of like you think of something like um, the zombie one, Zombie Side, yes, um, or something like that. It's very much in that vein. It fits within that kind of template. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a bit more tactical, like rather than the. I think the main difference is rather than the bad guys being uh, an NPC controlled like deck of cards or what have you, it's the one of the players plays the bad guys and they have um, they have a lot of strategy to what they can activate each turn and what they can do and they have resources to spend just like the players do. So it feels a bit more involved and a bit more invested, and it's a very good like two one v one game because the bad guy actually has stuff to do and they have their own objectives uh, to work against you so it feels like a very good um that's why i feel like it's a bit more like a miniatures game than a board game mm. is it kind of like a mixture is it kind of like a dice or dice involved and in well as well is there kind of that level of yeah, yeah there's yeah. dice yeah it's got like i don't know what game did it originally but it's got the three different tiers of dice so you've got like yellow orange and red yeah. and the red dice have more successes on them yeah um, so I don't know what system started that whole thing, but it has that and it works quite well. I've seen it in um, I've seen it in Descent. Um, mm, it's used quite yeah. well in Descent. It's actually I've seen it. Um, it's used in our Star Wars Armada as well, where you get oh, the yeah, that, yeah. you get the red, blue, and black dice. And I've um, I've also seen it used in Dungeon kind of Dungeon Saga as well. And uh, mm. yeah, it's, you're speaking about the kind of the. I guess the bad guys having more resources. I've seen that kind of emulated in, in kind of Dungeon Saga. So is it a case? Is it, is it kind of a dungeon crawler, or is it more of like a, is it a bit more kind of open in kind of what you kind of what you're doing? No, it's open. It's like um, the board is divided up into into sections, mm-hmm. and you you just move around the sections. But it is it's more open plan. Like you get a map. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's like four different ones, I think, in the core set. And then you have objectives and you have a starting point and then it's like go and do the objectives and it, and it doesn't really give you anything other than that. And then it's up to you to work out the best strategy to do that. All right, okay. Uh, we actually we actually got we got to like the fourth scenario, which was quite a quick one. Yeah. Um, it's like Conan and his buddies were sneaking into a castle to kill an evil dude. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know, great, great, great narrative description there. <laughs> but the names in Conan are all mental. Like they've all got the strangest names. Uh, but anyway, um, and we did the mission. Uh, we, we were doing this thing where we each did one. We each played as the good guy and the bad guy, so we both got to experience both sides yeah. of it. Um, and we did that, and it seemed impossible for the bad guys to win. So we played it like four more times, just trying to work out a strategy to make the bad guys win. Because we kind of felt like we had the optimal yeah. good guy strategy. Yeah. And we just kept playing it like, no, I want to see if we can actually make the bad guys win or if this is just a really badly designed scenario. <laughs> and it turns out it's just the bad guys have to really, they have to get lucky at the beginning and they have to really plan ahead because the map is quite small and they have to basically protect a character mm-hmm. and the good guys have to kill that character. Right. But they can get to him really quick. 
And then just wipe um, them out, and then that's it. Yeah, the game over. Yeah, my strategy was run across the board with Conan, put all the dice into Conan's attack, and just explode the bad one. <laughs> because Conan, me. Conan hits like a truck. <laughs> I could just imagine. I mean, what are the what are the um, the mini the miniature quality? What is it? Is it decent quality on the actual minis themselves? Yeah, the sculpts are really nice, um, really detailed. Um, there's a few iffy ones. Um, it's a similar level to like Zombie Side, right? Like the the sculpts, the sculpts are nice. Mm. Um, there's a lack of poses for the bad guys. Like the bad guys, you get a, a, a massive amount of bad guys. Yeah. Um, and there's there's a like I would like a few more poses of them, but considering they're like single piece molds, the detail is incredible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's really impressive. But um, yeah, I, I wouldn't want to paint them all. Like there was a lot of dudes in that box. Are you not kind of tempted just to kind of take a couple away at a time and have like a pet project and just like kind of build it up over a period? If I didn't have like if I didn't have like three Blood Bowl teams and an Age of Sigmar oh, army to paint right, that I okay, still haven't done, I, I probably would. Here we go. <laughs> here we go. You give, give give a guy a little bit of time and he, he the truth the truth will out. As you would say, I have so many hobbies. It's not even funny. <laughs> with them. Um, I mean, with the, with Conan, that was originally a Kickstarter, and I think one of the reasons it got a bit of kind of notoriety was because of, I think there was a little bit of a delay on the time the kind of the uh, the funding kind of finished to the actual game being delivered, and I know there was guys that had just um, as soon as they got their pledge, they were kind of putting them up for sale and looking kind of like eBay, and it was basically well, I've been waiting. 18 months for this and my appetite for the game is kind of gone but it's good to hear that it's yeah. a it's good to hear that it's kind of worthwhile kind of waiting for um i mean i i didn't back it or anything i nah. just went around to my friend's house and he had it if like so my opinion on it was completely at, at zero yeah. going into it i didn't have any negative connotations with it i know it's also got some flack for being i mean it's been accused of being misogynistic or sexist because yeah. some of the missions you're rescuing like um a woman from from like um captivity but honestly after playing it um and like what two of the main characters that you can actually play as are strong female characters um so i found it a bit a bit weird at that it's um, i think it's the artwork i think the artwork itself was based around the original i think it's the 1970s kind of comic artwork or something like that yeah it's it, it's in that robert e howard style of, yeah like you know extreme i don't know what to call it extreme conanism where the guys all look like like pro wrestlers and the women are all like scant yes they've kind of like you know. they've not got enough you know they've not got enough cloth to make like a small handkerchief basically but i feel like if if you're if you if you're following someone's artistic vision of of a setting i feel like you know that comes with the territory. You know that was what his world was like. Yeah. So it's kind of it. It, it would be weird for me if it if it was tweaked like that. It's like if you're going to make something and you're going to use the IP. Yeah. I think you should use the IP. And if you want to do something different, well, you know, don't use that IP. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think it's per- it's preferable for them to stick to the original vision or something as opposed to maybe tone something down for people who? I mean, okay, look at it this way. And this is maybe going to sound controversial, but I reckon the people who would maybe look at Conan and go, oh, that's terrible, are probably the people who maybe wouldn't buy it and enjoy it in the first place. Yeah, I mean, there is there is obviously that. But, you know, we live in, you know, it's 2017 and, and you know, people, 
you know, gender, all genders, all races want to be represented in, in yeah. things. So it's, you know, it's an understandable yeah. thing to bring up. I just feel like for Conan specifically, it's, you know, because you, if you feel so strongly about it and you want to play the game, you can, like, you know, there's no reason in the game where you couldn't be rescuing a male character yeah. from the same scenario. Like, there's nothing really that means that it has to be the princess or, like, the damsel in distress. Like, you could change it to suit your own desires. And I think there'd be no, you know, no problem with that. And that's the beauty of of board games is that, you know, the rules are there to make you enjoy playing. It's not, they aren't set in stone, you know, no one's going to come around and, like, judge judge style, like, shoot you for like playing it differently you know like that is not the rules no, absolutely that'd be a shock wouldn't it i'm doing the idea of a board game dodge dread though does sound awesome <laughs> could you imagine that it's like now nah, you're meant to do a three on that that's all right we'll do a four and then you just get a dump 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 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> open the door citizen oh, oh okay <laughs> that'll be board green board game dread at the door again um send them away yeah. will you um <laughs> the ultimate rules lawyer <laughs> I don't know what punishment would be, I guess. He'd probably say, right, okay, that's um you're gonna do sixteen cycles playing Monopoly or guess. I was about to guess say it'd be playing Monopoly. Every <laughs> guest goes down on Monopoly, but um an episode that's gonna come out or might be out already is uh, I had um, a guy called Gary Devereaux on and he did a quick starter recently, but him and uh, his his kind of um his partner that's involved in kind of putting the project together, he collects Monopoly stuff. Wow. Yeah. He's got like tons and tons of Monopoly boards. So if you said to him, you know, he'd probably be going out and cheating just to have Judge Dredd come round and force him to do six cycles. (laughs) (laughs) Am I allowed to pass go? Yep. If you get free parking, do you like to collect the money? Look at the rules. Kind of thing. But um, you've dropped in Blood Bowl. So mm. how many? You said you got three teams on Blood Bowl. Yeah, I bought I bought the the core box and then I bought the Skaven. Oh, cool! Um, I love Blood Bowl. It's one of my favorite games ever. Did you buy it when? Yeah. Did you have the original when it came out then? Oh yeah, yeah. I played the original to death. Um, I loved it. I went to like uh, Blood Bowl events and stuff like that to play it. Um, because it's such an accessible game and it's so self-contained, and the rules are just like so good. The rules are so so good. It was so much fun to play. Um, in fact, I remember when I heard the the rumblings a couple of years ago that they were thinking of redoing it. Uh, my copy had been like basically destroyed. Like I played it so much, the board was useless. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was really sad. And I was like, oh, if they do redo it, I am going to buy it and I'm going to keep it pristine <laughs> so that, like, in the future, like, because now I'm at that age where I start to think about shit like this, it's like, I will keep it so my kids can play Blood Bowl because <laughs> if it goes away again, I don't want to be left in the lurch. So as soon as it came out, I was like, right, I'm buying it. But then I ended up moving countries, so I had to wait a few months. But then I bought it. So do you have, did you not buy two then? So you've got one in shrink wrap. No, I'm not not quite that. <laughs> hardcore but um well i mean it seems that that i've seen i'm looking at the sort of success of it and the number of products they're pumping out for it mm. i don't think it's going away no it's not soon. going in no it's it's kind of going it's kind of going so away. that's good have you got a regular group that you play with then um through work and stuff like that that you play your play blood bowl 
Yeah, actually, it was very strange um, moving to another country, and especially one where the main language is is not uh, English. I was I was struggling to sort of find people and places to do all this nerdy nerdy stuff with. I was like, oh, people here either are more respectable adults or they keep it very well hidden. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I bought it anyway because I wanted it, and I was like, you know, screw this, I don't care if I can't find any people. <laughs> and then. I think about in the space of about two weeks, yeah. I found out that there's a game shop ten minutes from my apartment. Yeah, like a new game shop that has like boards where they do tournaments, and also that there's a league at work. But because you know I work for Ubisoft and the studio is like four hundred people, yeah. So that's too many people to know everything about what people are doing. But there was this entire Blood Bowl league with like twenty players that I just had no idea existed <laughs> in the building with me. <laughs> And then someone just someone just casually dropped it into conversation, and I just was like, "What? Tell just stop, go back, and tell me exactly <laughs> what you just said again." And yeah, so I, I joined the oh, league dear. at work, and we play at lunch times, and it's it's super fun. Is that kind of like do you do you almost kind of like sneak something to eat just before official lunch time so you can get more time actually playing, or do you snack on the go as you're playing? No, I, I, I generally, I, I mean, I, I sort of take all my food to work with me, so I do like meal prep oh, at home. So I just cool. sort of throw it in the microwave and and eat it as I oh. as I play. <laughs> that's pretty good. So twenty players. So is I mean, what's the is it is it quite a is it quite a serious contest? I mean, has there been fallings out? I mean, is <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, it's quite serious. Like, it's a proper league, and they have like you know, it's like done in placings, mm. and then there's a playoff at the end of each season. Mm. Um, and you know, some of the guys I think probably take it a bit too seriously. Yeah. Um, but it's all in good fun, and everyone enjoys it. And you know, it's 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 a good fun game, and it's it's you can do like a half in a lunchtime, which is nice. That's pretty good. So it's a very good like work based social game, I think. See, one of the things we like to do at We're Not Wizards is we. We like board games to be kind of accessible as as kind of possible, and there will be people that will be stumbling across us that haven't kind of even they've heard of Blood Bowl, but they haven't kind of played it before. So mm. the idea, I mean, the idea behind Blood Bowl it is basic. It's kind of like a a fantasy kind of American footbally type football type kind of type game. Um, I mean, do you want to explain? Give us five. Give us a five-minute rundown of why it's so good, why it's so great, why it's so fun, and why is it so easy to play? Just for the for the guys at home. Um, it's it's easy to play because you get everything in the box. Mm-hmm. So if you buy, I mean, you can treat it like a board game. If you buy that core box, you've got two teams, the board, everything you need, and you can play it, and you don't ever need anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, the rules are very easy to learn. It's very very intuitive system. There's there's very basic core mechanics that then are slightly built upon Mm -hmm. um which i think are very easy to pick up um it's it's very fun in that you can cheat intentionally and it's part of the game like you can you have re-rolls and you can like foul and you know you can have you can do sly things which i think is great fun Mm. um it's i think a lot of people like relate to it because it's it's based loosely on a sport that exists so you can apply some of that like knowledge to it yeah like i hate i hate sports pretty much like i'm not a sports person but i love blood Bowl, yeah so go figure um so it's got it's got much broader appeal than a lot of other board games um and it's just great fun it's like it's the perfect like 
have people around, have a few beers kind of game. You know, everyone can, it's fun to watch as much as it is fun to play. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can knock out a game in like an hour and a bit if you know what you're doing. And all the teams for it play slightly differently, but not not to the point where it will feel unfamiliar if you picked a new team. And there's like, like even Games Workshop are doing official teams now, but there's like, because they it was abandoned for so long, there's, there's whole companies out there that make really good quality third-party teams that you can buy yeah. for really cheap and as far as the miniature games go it's probably all the cheapest in existence because you need like 11 dudes and then that's it yeah so it's like you know it's as far as like if you're looking at getting into a miniatures game it's so cheap to play blood bowl because you get your team and then that's it you're done mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i mean yeah. what's your favorite i mean what's what's your your kind of favorite team what kind of guys are you ro- you're running with at the moment well, I'm playing Skaven right now because I uh, hate myself <laughs> and everyone else. Um, Why? But but only because Dark Elves don't exist yet as oh, an right. official team. Okay. But Dark Elves are my team. Right, okay. So what's so... Much to the vitriol of everyone I play because <laughs> what's... they're horrible to pin down and they murder players. What's so bad about them? Why are they so bad? Um, well, they're elves, so they they dodge just all the time. Yeah. So, like trying to tackle them and trying to stop them running the ball just through your defensive line is really tough. Yeah. And their like special thing is they have um, poison blades. All right. Okay. So they're like p- prone to just murdering your players and taking them off the pitch. So, yeah, I like them. I just like I, I like them for the elf side of things because they're fast and agile and they dance around and they give you a lot of options in terms of plays, but I like the Dark Elf side of things because, well, I used to play Dark Elves in, in Warhammer, yeah. but also because they have that little edge of being a bit ruthless and a bit brutal. <laughs> so until they come out, you've got the Skaven that you're running you're running with at the moment. Where are you in the league? Is there a league going on just now in, at work? Yeah, so they're just, they've ju- we've just finished mm-hmm. um, the current season and then we're taking like a week or two off and then the new season will start again. Um, I came in to... The last season, I didn't know about it yeah. until too late, so I wasn't in the last season. All oh, right, okay. Um, but I played a few like just friendly games, uh-huh. just to like you know. That's what I was going to ask. Where did you place in the league? But I guess we'll have to um, you have to keep us uh, keep us informed. <laughs> over yeah, you I'll finish to... up in the over you finish up in the kind of the next the next season. Um, if it, if it's anything like how I used to play, what will happen is I'll do relatively well for most of the season, and then as soon as it comes to playoff season, my like star player will just catastrophically get his head kicked off, <laughs> and then my team will do do nothing for the rest of the. Like, I'll just get knocked out of the playoffs instantly. I take it if you if you lose a player on the field, is it is it um it's not perma death, but I take it that's them off for the rest of the match then. Uh, so that's the cool thing about Blood Bowl is if you play it in like a league format. Yeah. Um, your team like gains experience and players gain new skills and new stats and stuff as the season goes on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when you when you get injured on the field, you roll on like a, a damage table, and usually the majority of times the players are gonna just go off for a game or go off just for a half. Yeah. But there is a slim chance that your player could sustain an injury, and there is a chance that the injury could result in death. <laughs> so that's it. It's gone. If yeah, I've literally played like 10, 12 game leagues and then lost a player. Oh my goodness. At the very end. And like, he'll have been, he'll have had loads of skills and loads of abilities and they've been amazing. Yeah. And then just some, some stupid little, like it'll be, it'll be a nothing character like a skink or a 
or a goblin will just stab him and he'll just fall over dead. <laughs> just, as, just as he's running past, here you go. Yeah, yeah he won't even be attacked. He'll just trip up. He'll trip himself <laughs> up, like trying to catch the ball and kill himself. He'll do... like, I've seen that happen. What do they call that? Doing a messy. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. Did you ever manage to play the um? Was it the Blood Bowl manager kind of card game at all? Did you ever kind of? I did actually. Yeah, the Fantasy Flight. Yeah, 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 yeah. I did. I really like that game. Yeah. Did you? You still got your? You still got? A, did you get a set of that yourself, or was that something you kind of played with? No, friends? that was uh that was another game that I played at someone's house. Ah, cool. Okay, okay. So you've mentioned um, <clears throat> you mentioned work. You mentioned Ubisoft um, mm. because one of the things that maybe people aren't aware of um, is that your career to date has been involved. You've you've done a lot of you know you've done a lot of creative work, a lot of creative writing, um, narrative work to do with the kind of the video games kind of industry. Um, mm-hmm. The one of the games that um, probably people will know very, very well are kind of like the The Witcher Three, because you said you you were in Poland for a while working with them, yeah. Yep. What did? Yeah, I worked in Poland for like eighteen months on Witcher Three. Okay. And what kind of stuff were you doing at CD Projekt Red? And you were you doing like the the main stories, the side quests? What was your kind of involvement in it, or was it a bit of everything? So I was a quest designer at CDP. Mm-hmm. Um, and I worked primarily on side quests and uh, what we called like the living world content, which was um, narrative experiences and quests around the world that didn't necessarily start in the traditional sense of here's a guy who gives you a task no. and do the task. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I focused I focused mainly on those things, mainly because when I joined the company. Uh, the main story had pretty much all been finalized and sort of dished out. So, um, like, I helped on little bits just sort of towards the end, like, you know, polishing and bug fixing and whatnot. But my, like, creative content was more in populating the world with interesting, like, little stories and side quests that, that would sort of detract it, sort of distract you from yeah. the main game and take you on little little adventures. Is it is it quite cool when people kind of recount to you kind of like tales that they've been doing or things they've been up to in Witcher Three, and it turns out it's something that you've done? Yeah, uh, I, I mean, it's always satisfying as a creative to see people enjoy the stuff that you make, uh-huh. um, no matter what it is. Uh, I really like it. Um, but yeah, I, I did enjoy watching people. So in the prologue area, of White Orchard, hmm. um, there was this little sort of churchyard like a graveyard of a little church that you could go into um, like a that went down into like a crypt Mm -hmm. and it was guarded by a uh, wraith and the wraith would appear to you outside and was very high level for the starting area so you could fight them if you want but halfway through the fight the wraith would vanish yeah um so most players thought oh i must have killed it or scared it away yeah yeah and then they'd wander down into the crypt to sort of see what was there and loot stuff and as you wandered in the door shuts behind you and won't let you out and then the wraith appears again and just goes to town on you. 
So the amount of players I watched on on like uh, streams who would walk down there and then <laughs> the lights would go out and the and the door would close and then the wraith would appear and it would just it would, it's the same wraith they were fighting yeah. but because it caught them off guard they just weren't prepared and it would just murder oh, them and fantastic. it was super fun to watch. So you got like if you look into your YouTube history, is it just tons of you tons of these these videos in your history just seeing seeing the wraith could have killed people off and say, yep, there's another one, there's another one. Yeah, there's, there's probably one. a few, but I was. Yeah, yeah, I was quite happy with that, right? Yeah. Um, you've been also um, Lego City Undercover. Yes, back in back, back in, in what day. feels like a lifetime ago. I know, but um, as we spoke about in the in the green room, it's coming back. To it is, yeah. I'm you... super excited to see that that it's uh, it's finally going to get its heyday on the PS4 and Xbox One. And for people who haven't, who have been living in a hole for the last little while, um, Lego City kind of undercover was, it came out on the Wii U, um, and it kind of it had its own story, its own narrative. Um, what was it about for folk that, that kind of haven't heard about it before? So it's a blend of loads of different things. Um, it's It's mainly like a like a buddy cop movie i guess in terms of its sort of narrative structure it follows the story of chase mccain who's like this really cool cop who joins the the lego city police department um and he's got like a nemesis who's rex fury and he sort of has to stop his nefarious plans from coming to fruition um and he's got like a bumbling sidekick who's really funny Mm. um but it's it's basically like if i had to sum it up for a modern gaming audience it's basically lego city is like lego gta really? which you know it's probably not how the people at gta <laughs> want it marketed <laughs> but i don't work for them anymore so it doesn't matter <laughs> exactly. um, but yeah it's basically like it's a big city you can drive around you can like jump into cars you can, you can drive around and and rather than the gta model of like being cruel and doing what you want this is more you can drive around and help people and save people and, and chase has loads of different costumes that give him different powers much like you know every other lego game it follows the same template mm. but it's just it was it was like the first real open world lego game and what i really liked about it was that the story and the the ip was was done in-house and it was unique to us like we didn't you know it wasn't based on like a movie or another game or anything like that it was a purely creative endeavor that, that the team created from scratch from our own imaginations um and that's why i think it's always going to be like my favorite lego game because of because of that yeah i mean you talk uh, you talk about it and with a lot of passion on um the twin humanities episode that you did with um cg and Paddy. so if you're interested in in that um in finding out more about that i would suggest you jump on and give that a listen because it's one of the reasons why I asked Stephen on the podcast in the first place, and it's a damn good, it's a damn kind of good listen. Um, you've also been involved in the writings, is it for Homefront Revolution? Um, yeah, that's right. Yep. Which, um, and what were you involved in that? Was that kind of the the story side of things? What we did, what did you do there? Yeah, I was. So I I was a narrative designer there, so I was a writer essentially. All right. Um, okay. But again, it's uh, when I joined the project, a lot of the story was already set in stone. So um, there was there wasn't a great deal of of room for 
changes when I joined. We still we changed some stuff and we definitely improved on what was there when I got there compared to the finished article. Um, but a lot of my sort of creative time there went on to sort of trying to polish up the script that we had. Yeah. And also working on the narrative for the DLC. Okay. Um, like the three big DLCs that, that we did there. Okay. Okay. Um, I mean, obviously, well, sticking with an, I mean, one of the reasons I got you on was to speak about kind of role, role-playing games as well. Um, but you're also working on another another kind of um, game at the moment, yeah? Was it Seven? Yeah, Seven, The Days Long Gone, which is a indie title. It's my first like indie title mm. um, that I've been writing for a studio called Fool's Theory, which is... Um, based in Bielsko in Poland, which is a group of ex-CDP devs oh, right, okay. um, who I used to work with, right. um, friends of mine who who left CDP and formed their own uh, studio to sort of pursue their own like creative visions. And they asked me to write their first game for them, uh, which is Seven, which is uh, coming out this year. Um, I don't think the date's been announced yet, so I won't say it just in case. <laughs> exactly, um, give us an exclusive kind of accident. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, Cuba would kill me. <laughs> <laughs> he would fly to Canada. He's probably be, be like um, that. I'd be listening to that this board game podcast, and all of a sudden you appeared and you dropped us <laughs> right in it with a date. Thanks very much. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm uh, you know, it's it's finishing up now, and I'm super proud of the game and and the story especially and. You know, got a shout out to my fellow writer on that, Tom, mm. who uh, he's been. I brought him onto the project to help me out with the writing, mm-hmm. um, and it was his first game. Oh, right, it's not okay. even his first indie game, so it's his first foray into the industry, and he's done super good work. and I'm super proud of the work that we've done together as a team, and I'm, I'm excited for that game to to come out and see what people think. It's just been they've just had it at PAX actually, yeah, um, demoed at PAX East, so I haven't heard back. Um, any specific feedback, but I've heard that it was received quite positively, so oh, that's, that's good. good. So is that the kind of the was that a project where you weren't coming in kind of halfway through or towards the end that you were were you kind of constructing the narrative from the very beginning with the ideas and stuff like that? Yep, yeah, I worked on that from the from pretty much the very beginning. I think there was like a month or two yeah. before I started, where they sort of set sort of settled down and got themselves sorted, but. Yeah, I was on it from the beginning, and me and me and the team sort of hashed out the world building and the narrative arc, and like talked about what we wanted and the themes, and you know, it was really it was really good, like creative experience to sort of do that, like brainstorming and and really, you know, get everyone's creative juices flowing and and really sort of experiment with where we wanted to go and what we do, and then you know, every idea, no idea is perfect first time, and there's been many iterations yeah. and many tweaks and changes as the as the game's gone on and developments progressed. Um, but I think it's in a really good place now, and I read back through the work, and I you know I play the, I uh, well I don't play because I don't have a PC, but like I look at the builds and and watch videos of gameplay, and it's it's come together really nice, and I'm I'm really excited to see what people think about the directions that we took with it and, and our particular take on on the subjects that it deals with did your um has your narrative affect how they've put together the game kind of mechanically i mean does it did the did the two things kind of work off each other 
that you maybe have to look at changing how the story is going based on the restrictions of the game, or do you are you able to say, well, maybe if we if the character is able to do this, is there a way we can bring that kind of to life? Is there a kind of a bit of back and forward that way? I mean, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, it's a game at the end of the day, and I, you know, gameplay comes first. You know, it's people play a game to to play a game. Mm. They don't play a game to watch a movie. Yeah. So I always. I always feel like the gameplay is the priority and yeah, I had to adjust the narrative based on what the gameplay was going to focus on. But then at the same time we did, you know, a lot of the mechanics and a lot of the gameplay was influenced by the narrative we wanted and the direction that we took with it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in any kind of creative field, there's all, it's always a collaboration. There's always, you know, you've, you've got to be flexible and there's give or take on, on both sides and narrative have to adhere to design and design have to adhere to narrative in a sort of, symbiotic relationship mm. have you i mean have you learned kind of lessons from yourself kind of being involved in a project and having kind of i guess a, a kind of a lot more kind of creative control on it then yeah for sure i mean it's the first time i've ever really led um a narrative like writing project yeah. you know like I, I was the lead writer on it so a lot there was a lot of decision making and um which I really, you know, I found I found challenging, but yeah. I found it rewarding as well to be able to to steer the vision. Obviously, um, the final say of everything landed with the creative director, so yeah. I still had, you know, it wasn't like I was just going off on my own <laughs> exactly. opinions and stuff, like a dictator, like a, a writing dictator. But um, it was, yeah, it was nice to have a lot of creative control, and I really enjoyed the process. And you know, some there were some things that were changed that. If it was just me working on it, or it was just my thing, yeah, I wouldn't have changed. But you know, that's why I have like my D and D writing and my other stuff. It's like when you're in a when you're in a team and you're working on a creative project in a collaboration with other creatives, it's not all about what you want. It's about what's best for the project. So it's it was always a case of stepping back and going, what would be cooler or what would be more impactful? This or this, and then we'd always try and go for the one that we felt was best for the for the game and the narrative, not for what we as individuals felt would be best. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of, I mean the, the RPG stuff. How I mean how many how many campaigns have you have you put together yourself now? You put together Oh god. I wouldn't even like to hazard a guess. <laughs> Definitely in the double digits. Did that um, did that start when you started playing D&D then? Did you were you did you do a lot of the the kind of the GMing from the beginning? Um, were you kind of drafted in? Was it kind of like, let's get Stephen in because he always tells a good tale kind of thing? Um, I won't go that far. Just <laughs> um... <laughs> bigging you up and that. No, it's not that. Yeah, no, I think it was... I think I did always gravitate towards the DMing side because I always liked telling stories. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I love playing it as well. Like Sometimes there's nothing better than just having your character sheet and your character to think about. Yeah rather than all the plot devices and mechanical hooks and everything that you need as a DM. But um, yeah, I always, I naturally gravitate towards being a GM, probably because I'm just loud and I like to talk. <laughs> um, and I think that suits being a GM. Um, but my friends were, I think my friends were more than happy to just let me do that because um, it's a lot of work. Yeah, well, yeah, and, yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely. I've heard, you know, yeah. Um, and I didn't mind putting the work in, so I think it was more a case of, well, Steve's up for running it, so we'll play. And then, you know, my I had a couple of friends that also ran campaigns every so often, but I like to think that I was the one who would 
run the most campaigns and, and try and get people playing it. I was always the one saying, "Oh, let's you know this new system's out. Let's <laughs> let me let's play it. I'll run a thing and we'll just play it and see how it goes." And and so yeah, it's always been. I mean, I've probably. It's funny because I, I look at my RPGs and I look at my portfolio of work and I think the RPGs have actually got me more, have got me further ahead in my life at, at key points than anything else I've ever done. Yeah. So like when I went to my university interview, the thing that the lecturer, that the course leader really liked was my Star Wars campaign that I took with me. It's like a, a giant A4 folder full of this campaign that I run. Yeah. Um, and when I went for my interview at CD Projekt, they really wanted to know about my RPG stuff, and they wanted to look at that. And they, you know, they didn't care that I'd worked in the games industry for four and a half years. Yeah, they just wanted to see my RPG stuff. And, and I think, I think, yeah, if anything, like my RPG work has, has got me further ahead in my life and career than any one other thing that I think I've done. Is it not a case of that's, that's you kind of being let off the leash, though? I guess if you know, if you went along and says, "Well, I wrote for this, this, and this," you know that there'd be somebody maybe kind of as you said there's potentially always a creative director who's always having the the kind of the last word i guess you're kind of you can you'll be constrained by the the system that you're using i guess in D sometimes what you can actually do but um i guess you're kind of fully let off the leash to see kind of what your what your imagination can do do you i mean there's always i mean the big joke on kind of any role-playing game is where you start off i mean the tavern do you stay away from the tavern situation or do you embrace it? Do you have a different kind of view on how you get a group of adventurers together then? So I love this. I love this this topic. I think I wrote a blog post about it yeah. not that long ago, actually, yeah. about how I started a campaign. Yeah. But, um, That's why I'm bringing it up, because I, was on, <laughs> cause I had to look at myself. Okay. No, it's... Um, like I, I don't think there is a wrong way to start a campaign. And... I have written so many campaigns that I think I've probably done like a good a good chunk of different ways and variations. But I've started people in inns. I've started people in caravans, like traveling road. I've started people just I've just started people in front of a dungeon and been like, Yeah, you know each other. Like, that's fine. Let's just go with it. Like, who gives a shit? Like no one cares. Like you're all in this room. Exactly. You know, you're all here because you either all know me or or you work with me or something. So let's just get it out of the way and just get on to playing the adventure. But the the big campaign I'm currently running, which is tentatively called Storm of Death, which I might change. Hmm. Um that I so I I wrote this whole story about where I wanted the campaign to go and, and like what I wanted it to involve and, and the narrative themes and arcs. When I was coming to think about how I would start, I realized that the players starting as part of a convoy heading somewhere, like a caravan convoy, it just fit with the narrative. So I had no hesitation in going, right, you're all on this, you're all passengers on this caravan heading east for your own specific reasons. I don't need to know that. But what unifies them is then the caravan being attacked and the caravan being um, put under threat. And then them all having a vested interest in saving it because they're traveling with it. So that was that was where that was. So I think I think starting a campaign, it just needs to feel natural to the campaign, or it needs to be completely just disregarded, and people just be like, yeah. you know what, you all know each other or whatever, just deal with it, and let's get stuck into the campaign because there's nothing worse than like for new GMs especially like having to try and like get through the painful first session of 
getting everyone in the same place and getting them to introduce themselves <laughs> to each other and then getting them to actually cooperate because the last thing players want to do is what you tell them to do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So if you say, yeah, you need to all like get together and help this town, they'll all be like, no, fuck no, I don't want to work with this guy <laughs> for whatever reason. He smells weird or he's he's the wrong race and I don't like their race because of my backstory. And that's like, ugh. Yeah, people are like, go away and they'll spend, and you don't want to give them too long with a character because they'll go away and invent some kind of angsty grudge that they'll have against somebody <laughs> for no reason whatsoever. Yeah. I don't like exactly. him because he's got three vills in his name and he's got a comma. Or an apostrophe. Yeah. It's like, all right, fine, then they're just, you know, going to get rid of them. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever run a campaign where you've spent a long time kind of preparing a part only to find people have found some way to kind of get round it? Either you want them to turn left and they've turned right and managed to keep going right without you kind of turning them back? Oh, yeah, a- absolutely that has happened on numerous occasions. My favourite one, okay, I've got a perfect example for this. I was running a Star Wars campaign in the D20 system that Wizards did, mm. I don't know when, a while ago. Yeah. It's long in the past. And we were like three or four sessions in, and it was going really well. And like I had them, I think they were on Cloud City, and I had them like, I had them like kept bumping into like the, the main Star Wars characters, but only briefly just because I wanted it to feel cool and I wanted them to feel like they were, they were like important in the universe. Yeah. And then I made this awesome royal like emperor's royal guard bad guy who was going to come and be this adversary for the players and he was awesome and i gave him this backstory and i, I did this whole session around the build-up to him coming and like the big confrontation and then oh my god one of the players he was like he he confronted them in this hallway and he was like you know they had to go down the hallway and he was in the way so they had to confront him and then one of the players is like i'm just going to put all of my force points into like oh at first one of them threw a thermal detonator at him all right okay. and i was like oh he uses his staff and it bounces back down the corridor uh-huh. you know i thought i was being clever and then it bounced exactly to the point equidistant from both groups uh-huh. and exploded and did nothing yeah so i was like well that looked cool but didn't do anything yeah, cool um and then the, one of the characters was like he was like a force adept so he wasn't a jedi but he like he could access the force um and he was like, I'm gonna put all of my force points into like basically going into like berserk and powering up, and he just ran at him and just cut him in half. <laughs> like the sheer like amount of dice he rolled. And I was I can't have been much older than like sixteen or seventeen oh, no. at this point. So I was still at home. So I was like I wasn't that experienced the GM, but I was experienced enough and I just couldn't they're just rules like I just couldn't find a way around it. <laughs> he just cut my character in half. So I was like, oh, oh well I guess I guess that's over. I guess I'll have to think of a new bad guy. <laughs> what did, you do? did you kinda of go, um and then um and then um anyone wanna go and get some dinner? <laughs> yeah, it was like, okay, cool, he's dead. Um I guess you can take his shuttle now and they were like, Oh cool. <laughs> I was like, oh great. You see me you're raging with a force. <laughs> Yeah. Really, 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 really angry. Um, have you got? Um, I mean, have you got stuff that you're working on at the moment? Then that you're kind of continually. I mean, have you got? Have you always got ideas for campaigns that you want to kind of put out there? I mean, have you thought about kind of going the next step and approaching kind of like the bigger names and saying, "Here's my campaign. Would you fancy kind of publishing it?" Type of thing. So this is yeah. This is. Um... This is kind of a new thing for me, the sort of professional 
like production of role playing supplements. Yeah. Um, it's something I've had in the back burner for a, a number of years now, but I've been so busy like hopping countries and making video games and, and doing other stuff that I, it's never been something I've really sat down and dedicated myself to. But but like last year, I decided I was going to make a concerted effort too. So right now, I'm actually working with Seventh Sphere Publishing, who are the it's a guy called Brian who does the Open Legend system. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm writing one of his game supplements for him. Um, so it's called the Shores of Valhalla, and it's it's a Kickstarter reward for backing the Open Legend RPG system. Oh, right, okay. Um, so I'm currently writing that for him, which is really exciting and really cool. Um, and I'm also, as I mentioned earlier, my Storm of Death campaign yeah. for D&D 5th edition, I'm currently writing that up to a professional level to put on the DMs Guild where you can um, like buy fan-made, I don't want to say fan, but like independent creators' content. Um, and I'm going to I'm gonna put that up there. It's what I'm actually running for, for a group at work at the moment, just as they're sort of my guinea pigs for the, for the actual yeah. mechanical stuff to see if it's like decently balanced and stuff. Mm. Um, and then once I'm doing it in four parts because it's a huge campaign, I, I've worked out it's like, it's probably a good 24 hours worth of like content per block and there's four blocks that's a that's an adventure and a half Stephen. yeah it's a it's a <laughs> yeah it's, it's a proper proper campaign it's like lord of the rings-esque in scale it's like they go across all of faerun and they go to like different realms and they fight loads of different bad guys and epic things it's basically i wanted to write a campaign that you could that will take players from from level one to level 20 yeah and you can do it all in this one campaign yeah and it gets them. It gets them doing. It goes to a variety of places. It gets them doing a variety of things. There's like political intrigue. There's assassinations. There's epic fights. There's like broader narrative arcs going along that the players are sort of just one cog of. Hmm. Um, but the way I've the way I've built it um, is that it's being broken down into four parts, and then I'm going to put the first part up for free, where you can pay what you want for it, so people can get a taste for how I write for fifth edition. Yeah. Uh, and then the other parts will go up later and be costed, you know, like a couple of dollars here and a couple of dollars there. Yeah. And then I'll once they're all out, I'll probably bundle them together and like do a special offer to get the whole thing. But so like working with Open Legend and doing this are like my two my two initial entries into the the sort of sphere of professional content creation for RPGs. But I'm hoping that it's you know I'm really enjoying it and it's it's really sort of it's writing, but it doesn't feel like work. It's really fueling my creativity, and I'm really enjoying creating them. So, I'm hoping that that's a sign that in the future, going forward, I, I want to do more of that. I'm just wondering where you get the kind of the time and also the energy to do so many things. Yeah, I man. guess if you're saying that's like it kind of ends up kind of writing itself. Have you ever got kind of like through a campaign like and just went, mm, this isn't kind of cutting it and then change a little bit and then it's like oh this is actually now fantastic and amazing um do you find you have to change things are you called constantly chopping and changing are you quite self-critical with the stuff that you do yeah i mean i learned a long time ago that you can't be precious about your own work when you're in a creative environment you know things get chopped and changed all the time Mm. so i think i'm very critical of my own work probably too much if anything Mm. um like i'll be the first person to point at something i've done and say that shit (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> but yeah, like that's. I think that's why it's important when you're creating content yeah. for other DMs and players is that you run it through a group of players to test what it will be like actually in practice. Yeah. Um, and I have found like I, I, you know, I, I'm running the first block right now with the players because it's complete, and I make. I've got a print out of it, and I'm running it like someone who bought it would run it so i'm reading off like my supplement and like going through it uh, and making notes where you know the players inject something that i think oh that's quite a cool idea or they do something that takes them off the path set yeah but i think it's cool enough to add into the campaign yeah um so yeah i don't want to do it too much because i feel like if if you keep doing that you will literally never finish anything no i think it's important to finish stuff yeah Um, yeah but I'm injecting little ideas here and there and tweaking bits that I think that could do with more detail or that bit isn't clear enough or that puzzle is like too easy or too hard or, you know, and just tweaking the the, the nitty gritty in the actual gameplay mm-hmm. and seeing if the story gels. And it's going really well so far, thankfully. Like they've really enjoyed the content so far. So I'm feeling pretty positive about the first part at least. Um, but I just want to, I just want to get on to like, you know, because obviously the first five levels, which is what the first block covers, yeah, the, you know, they're quite low powered, so you can't really throw a decent amount at them. But later on, I've got like all sorts of crazy <laughs> stuff for them to fight, so I'm super excited to do that. <laughs> I just want to get there. It's like, come on, just level up faster. Stop talking to the people in the town. Just go and fight stuff. Exactly. You go to talk to the person in the town. They ignore you. Yeah, they ignore you and tell you to get a move on. Get stuff, Witcher. <laughs> well it's like literally one session ago they were they reached the town and they talked to about 15 npcs and i'd only written about five details of five of them down so yeah. i had to ad hoc 10 more oh. npcs and come up with like who they were and characters and then one character decided to use talk to animals to have a conversation with a pair of horses that i then also had to ad hoc <laughs> what they would say so you have to give the horses backstories. It's like, yeah, we're br- yeah. Br- and I had to act how how would a horse act if someone just started talking to them and they could communicate. So I had to like, it was quite fun actually. It was probably one of the funniest moments in in the whole session. But I had to just ad hoc these two horses like freaking out because a person was talking to them and they understood them. Do you put on voices then? Are you kind of like, do you get really involved in the role in the kind of the role playing type thing? Um. I dip in and out of it. Like, if it's a main character, I try and put on a voice, but I'm shit at voices, so it's not something I like. I, you know, I'm not Matt Mercer. I can't just do, yeah. like, I can't just turn it on and turn it off like he does. But, um, yeah, yeah if, if if I'm into it and, you know, I'll try or, but no, generally I do it in, in I just do it in, like, my voice. So I might change the pitch yeah. based on, like, if they're talking to, like, you know, a woman or, or like a gnome or something or like a dwarf, you know, I might I might change the pitch a little bit, but oh. I'll generally just stick to my voice and try and do it in third person because, you know, I don't want to just have to do shit voices the whole time. <laughs> exactly. No, come over here, little boy. Kind of thing, and it's just yeah. like, what? Stop it. Do you, I mean, with you being involved in the kind of the narrative, the storytelling side of things, what do you do in terms of the combat then? Do you have, do you find you gravitating to have not as much combat as you would expect in a, a kind of a D&D campaign or... um? Or do you kind of help them go all out, all kind of all out? Um, I think a healthy campaign should have an even split between like exploration, combat, mm-hmm. and like um, investigation, like interactions with NPCs. And I try and I try and keep that balance mm-hmm. um, as best as I can, because uh, I, I get as much joy out of 
like doing the puzzles and doing the the interactions as much as I do the combat. But yeah. I don't like use a battle mat or anything. I I do it all in the the theater of the mind as it's as it's known. <laughs> okay. Um, like everything is is descriptive, and and the players have to use their collective imagination to yeah. to paint the picture. I don't I don't like use a battle mat and miniatures and anything like that. I think it's too distracting. Yeah. Do you get people to kind of like? Well, if you can't think about it, then you'll have to think about it. Basically. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I did I did say to the players like you know when we were first starting out because I hadn't played with them before and I you know as a DM I feel like it's your job to serve the players yeah um you know to help that to make their experience as fun as possible so I was like you know do you guys want a map do you want me to give you more visual mm. aids and representations and they they were fine with it but I, I mean I've done it before I have done maps for groups in the past that have been a bit too they've they've struggled with the theater of the mind oh, ideal man. and they've wanted a they've wanted just a map to see like the the space they were in, so yeah. you know it's it's just about being adaptable. Like I'll probably do maps for the campaign uh-huh. and for the key locations in case players want to use them and DMs want to use them. But I personally prefer not to use them. Okay. Have you ever looked at things like Roll Twenty? Don't know at all. Yeah, I, I really like Roll Twenty. Um, my problem is right now I don't have a PC. All right. A computer. All right. Okay. Um, I really want to do like live streaming. I really want to do like online. Yeah. Um, sessions because obviously i've got friends back home mm-hmm. who i you know i've got a group of friends who i the guys who i used to go to games workshop with actually yeah um you know they were also my my main role-playing group so we like to get together like every year to like do a do a weekend of just um role-playing um and they said like you know just just because i'm over here in canada doesn't mean we can't do that still so i want to like get a computer and a, and a camera and a microphone so i can sort of gm for them uh, across the ocean so it's sort of, I've got lots of other life stuff going on that's requiring my like financial resources more. But as soon as I've got like a, a decent amount of money set aside that isn't like allocated, I'll probably get myself a computer and, and invest in some Roll20 stuff. Yeah, no, me and um, we're actually in the, well, we're going to start uh, going into our second session of um, fifth edition. Um, it's the Minds of, is it the Minds of Philandry or something like that? Um, oh yeah, the the starter set thing. Yeah, yeah. So Lost Minds of Fandelva, something like that. Yeah, I can't. I'm not good at pronouncing or or reading, as it turns out. Um, but yeah, um, there's me. Was it? There's myself. Actually, Paddy is in, Patrick Smith's involved in that one. So I'm in Scotland. He's down south um, in Portsmouth. And then there's three people in America that we're playing with as well. And then there's somebody oh, in Leeds nice. as well. So we're all using the the Roll20 system, and it's just amazing. You all log on, and then you go live, and all of a sudden you're talking to each other. And as, as you say, you've got a very, very basic kind of board which you can just place your figures about so you know roughly where you are for combat and stuff, but it's it's good fun because I, th- I don't think you get as kind of embarrassed kind of putting on stupid voices and stuff like that because while you're kind of interacting with people, you're not. You're kind of not kind of there with them in the room, so you're not as kind of like self-conscious. At the end of the day, you're probably acting towards a wall. <laughs> the worst kind, of, the worst <laughs> kind of case scenario. Um, <clears throat> so I mean, you've got you've kind of got all this stuff kind of going on. I mean, is there kind of like <clears throat> is there like a dream thing that you would get involved in? The kind of the dream gig that you would love to like love to do. I don't know. It's hard to say. Um... 
I have so many different passions and like different things I want to do pulling me in all different directions. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'd love to, like I mean, I love. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. I love my job and I love what I do, and I know that it's. I'm very, very like lucky to be in the position I am to be able to write video games for a living. I'm under no illusion that that's a pretty, pretty cool thing. That's that's not exactly common. Yeah. Um, but like, I would love to. I would love to like you know like working for Wizards as a like a writer for them would be very cool. Yeah. Um, but I'd also love to like I'd love to be a script writer for Hollywood and write movies. Yeah. At the same you know on the same hand and I'd also I've got like three or four novels planned that I want to write mm-hmm. that I just don't have time for. Um, and I'd love to be a more I'd love to be a more professional author. Um, but yeah, so it's. As long as it's writing, I, I enjoy it and I'm passionate about it. And there's loads of different ways to be a writer now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I just think, I just, I, th- I focused on video games and D&D and like RPGs a bit more because they were what I've grown up doing. And like I've grown up playing video games and I've grown up doing RPGs and tabletop stuff. So it's like that always felt more natural to me and a space that I could write in and exist in without any kind of fear that I wasn't sort of qualified to do it because i had so much experience doing it whereas like book writing and like film writing i've dabbled in it and i've got scripts on the go and stuff yeah. like that but it's a space i've never like existed in before and i didn't go to like film school or anything no. so it's, i've always been more apprehensive yeah i guess that when you know when you're when you're involved in writing creative writing as you it's not just a case of yeah it's not a case of bashing out a script because there's so much more to it it's not a case of bashing out a screenplay or putting a book together because as you know there's kind of different ways of structure and stuff like that as well but for people who want to you know if they've listened tonight and they want to keep an eye on what you're doing kind of what you're up to um where do you exist currently on the kind of the internets um i've got a website that i i mean it's kind of a portfolio but it's also a blog that i've been trying to sort of be disciplined with and stick to writing once a week on and that's um that's roadswrites.co.uk okay um so if you want to read articles about whatever's on my mind that particular week uh, you can go there and it does vary i've written articles about um moving to canada i've written articles about video games i've written articles about politics and book reviews and movies and it's basically just it's just a space for me to exist to sort of dump my thoughts mm. that are cluttered around my head okay um i'm i'm pretty active on twitter yeah uh, at roads underscore rights i think it is yeah. yeah that's right um i'm pretty active on there like retweeting other people's work that i've enjoyed or retweeting things that i think people who follow me might find interesting um or on this on the same note i had a massive rant the other day about the war of the worlds movie that tom cruise is in it was like a 10 tweet rant about how i hate it and why i hate it why What's so, wrong with it? <laughs> well, I okay, I love War of the Worlds. Like yeah. that book is one of my favourite books of all time. Yeah. And I think that movie just takes a massive dump on it. Because for one, it it screws around with the mythos of it that doesn't need to be screwed around with. Like giving them force fields and making them like the things be in the ground before it's like, just don't, just stop. Like don't do that. And also uh, my main problem with it is the kids in it. Like, the kid characters are so incredibly annoying and just act in the most bizarre ways. Yeah. Like, 
Like the teen, that teenage lad, honestly, God, every time I watch that film <laughs> and he's on screen, I just want to punch something or anything. Just he winds me up because he's such a shithead of a person. <laughs> like, you know, he just doesn't, you know, and I'm not saying that Tom Cruise in that is a good dad or anything. I think no. all the characters in that are pretty horrible. I actually kind of root for the Martians in that film because I'm just like, yeah, do it. Go for it. Just kill, kill these people. Collect them in the cage and just liquefy them. Just go for yeah, it. Yeah, that's it. Well, that kid, he's like, when he, when he, like, the, the biggest sin of that film is when that kid runs, runs up, up the, the hill, hill and to there's... join the fucking army and then <laughs> yeah. literally the entire hill erupts in fire. Yes. And then he's <laughs> just in his mum's house at the end. And they're like, what? He just, How is he there? He just turns up and he's like, all right, dad. <laughs> yeah, and no one says anything. His dad doesn't go, how the fuck did you survive the hill of fire? I almost died and I wasn't on it. No, he just hugs him. He just hugs oh, him. I think... <laughs> I'm kind of, I'm kind of glad I asked about War of the Worlds. <laughs> no, honestly, I was. It's because I'm reading the Massacre of Mankind, which is the official sequel, right? Right. Now, okay. Um, which I was very kindly sent, um, as like an advanced reader copy. So I'm reading that right now, mm. and I, I'm loving it. And I was like, God, I really, I just fancy watching a movie about this. And I was like, I'm gonna watch that that movie that I'm pretty sure I hate. Yeah. But I'm not seen it in like a couple of years, so I'm gonna watch it again. Does the entire and, oh, Tim? Does the entire is it Tim Robbins appears out of yeah. nowhere? Oh God! And then there's this kind of really really weird bit where they end up having a fight, him and Tom Cruise, but you never see the fight. It's because they they tried to turn him into the um, he's like the priest in the book, yes, um, who like takes them in, and they're trying to do that. But in in this film, they made him like he's like this crazy guy who who's who's like. He's all about the resistance and he starts shouting about it. And Tom Cruise is like, if you don't shut up, they're going to find us. But the guy just keeps trying to dig his weird little tunnel to somewhere yeah. and and shouting about it. So, yeah. And then, yeah, they don't show the fight because at that point in the movie, they decided that they wanted to show everything from the little girl's perspective just because. <laughs> so they just switch perspectives just for like, a bit we so we like, don't have to see the fight. He's just like screaming at the screen at that time. Get a narrative point of view for goodness sake. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, just what, what, why every character's motivation just seems to change. Like the only consistent character in it is Tom Cruise and his only <clears throat> consistency is I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, which is the correct response in that situation. Yeah, but Tom Cruise is a bit too Tom Cruise. He's he, just... I he is a little bit. I just don't know why they changed it. Like, I don't know why they changed. Like, the story of War of the Worlds could be modernized. Yes. Without, with very few changes. Yes. Like, you know, why is it not an author, like a journalist, and why is he not sort of, you know, documenting things? And you know, where's where's Thunderchild shooting Martians in the ten? You know, I get that they sell it in America because reasons. Yeah. But they could have still simulated some of the the scenes from the book that were blatantly missing and like the end where like you know he meets the the soldier the artilleryman and he's trying to form like a new civilization underground and that whole interesting plot device but i don't know i just for, from from the creative minds of like steven spielberg based on like such an incredibly interesting intellectual property. Like, it's probably one of the first examples of, like, the sort of, you know, apocalypse, like, disaster trope. Yeah. You know, like, in, in fiction, it's like... It's like, I don't know how it went wrong, so, like, how it went so badly wrong. It's 
I'm just really glad we're kind of finishing off our conversation by me leaving you completely, probably quite angry again. <laughs> I do. I feel. I feel pent up again. Just like that, right? Are you just going to pace about the room now? I'm just. I feel. I'm quite worried for your blood bowl collection, and you need to stay away from from things. <laughs> at like least that, you weren't. At least you weren't saying to me like, "Oh, I really like that film. I don't know what. I don't know what your points are." I wouldn't do that because it was. It did have several points which were quite meant to be shocking, like them waiting on the pre- waiting on the train station and the train going past on fire. Yeah, that like... bit's that bit's you know it's like they did try and like the, where it appears on the hill behind them and just just does it. Oh, also that annoyed me. They don't they don't do the ula thing. They no. they make the inception horn noise. Yeah. I'm like, why are they making the inception horn noise? No, no, just a just an actual an actual joke. Um, well, I thought the tripods looked cool, and the aliens looked cool. I thought they they sort of nailed them, yeah, like visually. Yeah, they didn't go kind of all out the way to make them too kind of modern day. You, you mean no? But it... again, the whole thing of like giving them force fields, it's like the Martians to make them a tangible threat. They don't need to be like that. The whole point of it is that they aren't indestructible, yeah. but they're so technologically advanced and they're so they're so much more powerful than what we have. Is that it doesn't matter? Like like. You know, the only this is the annoying bit. The only person who kills a walker in that film is Tom fucking Cruise. <laughs> and he does it with a couple of grenades because he puts it up its weird sphincter thing that's trying to eat him. And I'm like, no, that's not right. Like, you know, they could have brought the military could have brought down a few of them and it would not have lost anything. And it would have, you know, it sows that thing of like the humans just aren't capable of fighting this, but to make them just completely immune to everything, I thought it was a bit of a cop out. <laughs> I, th- I expected Jeff Goldblum to turn up and be like, "Oh, I'll give it a call." Well, that's well, yeah. I was going to say off. that. I think that actually Independence Day is probably slightly closer to the War of the Worlds than the actual War of the Worlds. Film. Yeah, do you know what? Like, it <clears> stupidly kind of is. Just because at the end of the day, let's give them a virus, kind of thing, but. <laughs> Yeah. I can't help but think like, did Jeff Goldblum like was did they actually just read War of the Worlds and misunderstand what 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 happened at the I end? Have no idea. And like, oh yeah, they gave him a cold. The best thing about yeah, the best thing about uh, Independence Day is the fact that they managed to completely interface with an alien technology and send up kind of computer code that we don't even know is compatible with a computer code. <laughs> so do you know they tried to explain that away in the second one? No, I've not seen. I've not. I've not done anything bad enough to see the second one yet. <laughs> Yeah, don't do that. But I thought it was kind of cute that they tried to address that in the second one because they basically say because all of Earth's computer systems are based on the technology that crashed in Roswell, like that ship was what based all of our technology off, that it would synchronize with the alien tech because it's based on the same like loosely core thing. (laughs) And I was like, huh, (sighs) that's kind of that's cheeky enough to work. Do you, end up, do you end up watching kind of like bad films just to look at kind of like bad stories and bad screenplays and stuff like that as well? Do you like something yeah, I mean, that's as badly written as something that's really, really well written? Yeah, I think I think there is there is something to be said about appreciating, like to understand how to do something. I think you have to see it in its worst and in its best. Yeah, and I think that goes for everything. Like you know, I've you know I'm under no illusion that um, some games I've worked on haven't been like received that well yeah um but some games i have worked on have been received really well yeah and i think it's i found both experiences to be equally as valuable like to learn how to not do certain things yeah is just is just as valuable if not more valuable than learning how to do things really well 
so yeah, I love watching bad movies. Is like, it? Well, so what's your guilty pleasure then? Just guilty pleasure. Yeah, that's a good one. Let's yeah, let's finish at the worst. I mean, we're we're talking potentially things like Batman and Robin. Oh man, yeah, I do like those films just for the the incredible one-liners. Yes. Um, the bat. I don't know, like guilty pleasure. I really like. I mean, I like Independence Day. I mean, I, I, I'm in the camp that Independence Day is actually quite a good movie like with it, loads yeah. of interesting subtext yeah. um, wrapped around a, a really generic disaster movie. But I don't know, guilty pleasure. I, have, I, I think for me, a film has to be really, really shit to be, <laughs> to be enjoyable. Like films that try to be good and fail, I, I don't like. But films that just don't try to be good and just try to be bad, like The Room. I love The Room. Are you talking about things like you're not talking about things like Sharknado? Yeah, shit like that. Like, um, yeah, stuff like that. Like, um, what was it called? Kung Fury. I love oh, Kung, Kung Fury. Kung Fury is the best twenty-five minutes of anything that you'll ever see exactly. in your life. Because it's just it's just like amazing nonsense. It's so funny. And there's a video but, uh, and there's a video game of as well on the PlayStation I did not Store. Know that. There's a video game which I think is game. just the basic stuff. Yeah, it's hard. I'm trying to think. Like, okay, I'll give you an example. Like Prometheus. Yes. I fucking hate Prometheus. Right. Because Prometheus is trying to be a good movie and just failing at it miserably in almost every regard. Yes. And you know, I know there's people out there who like it, and you know that's fine. People like different things. I'm not trying to say you shouldn't like it. I'm just saying I fucking hated it <laughs> because it just didn't do anything for me. And I'm, you know. I'm a huge sci-fi fan, I'm a huge Ridley Scott fan, I'm a huge Alien fan, and I think if you're a combination of those three things, it was the worst film ever made of that year. So what about Covenant, then? Yeah, I'm not interested in Covenant at you're all. You're just not even going to go near there and disappoint yourself? I mean, I'll probably go watch it, just so I can be part of the conversation. Yeah. But, like, I'm not excited for it, I'm not I'm not enthused by it. Like, I watched the trailer and I was like, oh, it's got all the same beats as Alien, almost identically. Yes. Because um, they're just trying to... I don't, I don't know what they're trying to do. They're trying to remake Alien, but have you watched um, South Park recently? No, not recently. No, I've not watched it for a little while, but... So they've got these things called, like, I don't know where the storyline's going with it because I've not seen the last few, but they've got these things called member berries, <laughs> which are, like, people are eating because they just like nostalgia, and these little berries are all about nostalgia, yeah. and they, like, they talk, and they're like, oh, hey, remember the Millennium Falcon, and remember <laughs> Ghostbusters, and all these things, and I see the Alien Covenant trailer, and I'm like, that is member berries. <laughs> They're just going, hey, remember facehuggers and remember people on a ship and yeah. an alien hunting them? And it's just like, you know, it just looks like a film I've already seen. And I don't need, I don't need to see that film again because the version that I already have access to is really good. It's really, good. really good. Aliens, so it's like, aliens versus Predator as well. That's another one. Oh, God. That, I really don't. I, 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 I think we should, you know, we should possibly <laughs> slow down or stop because... Um, at the end of the day, I don't want you going away angry. I want you to go away saying this was a fun, this was a, sl- this was an interesting kind of experience. I got to discuss. I know, you're leaving a bit of taste in my mouth. You're you're like, oh, away, you could have walked away. all shit movies. You <laughs> exactly. About. Oh my god, he's going to move on to Transformers next. Oh god, <laughs> what is wrong with you? Why? Why do you say these things? I don't know. But then I don't know. Recently, I caught the Smurfs. That wasn't a bad film. The Smurfs? Yeah. I have not seen that. The new, new live action one. It's a nice little positive story in a kind of a, a horribly trope-filled world. Wow. Are you not, you're, not, you're not confusing it with Avatar, are you? No. Because they're pretty similar. <laughs> yeah, they are. Yeah. <laughs> Big blue people protecting the planet. Now, that was Fern Gully. 
<laughs> he confused yeah, Fern Gully, Fern Gully yeah. and Avatar. That's what it was. What I feel like I'm just shitting on like like all these amazing, all these, movies. amazing <laughs> all these, all like, these films. Yeah, I mean, all these people <clears throat> who've made like the greatest movies of all time, and I'm just there like, nah, rubbish. Mm, start, rubbish. Yeah, we won't even go near the Phantom Menace. <laughs> no, God, Jesus. Is there anything left to be said about the Phantom Menace that hasn't already been said? I I don't know. I think it would be amazing if episode 8 revealed that Jar Jar Binks was the bad guy. I know it's been a joke, but if he just turned up... <laughs> I don't know. That depends on how like They've ca- how much Disney are willing to spend on a joke. Because if they did that, they would literally lose billions. I know, but that would be so funny if they just did it would. that. That would be absolutely... I mean, I would laugh. Like I'm a Star Wars fan, but I would laugh. Yeah. And then cry. I would like, la- yeah. I would, I would laugh, and then I would, you know, and then my son would know the kind of pain that we went through when we watched the Phantom Menace the first time. But that is <laughs> sad thing is, I was like, I don't think I was like eleven when that film came out, and the eleven-year-old me kind of enjoyed it. Yeah, well, I mean, I've been on another podcast saying I like Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> yeah, see, that's that's a difficult one. I like it. That's fair. I mean, it's not. You know, it is what it is. We can't change it. I mean, yeah, it's, it's got it's got some bits of it that are okay. It's got. I can like it. Yeah, I don't mind it at all. You know, and I like the next one. The Force Awakens good, and I can't wait for episode eight. Yeah, Force Awakens, I, I really enjoyed. Yeah. you know, it really hit me in the in the nostalgia. Yes, but I mean, Revenge of the Sith has probably one of the most mind blowingly visual openings of a film I think I've ever seen. Yes, like that. The way they did that. I was like, God, geez, this is insane. Like, there's so much stuff on the screen, I feel like my eyes are going to melt. That's why I loved it. Just that this was a space battle. And the only time I've seen it eclipsed recently is Rogue One, which was another fantastic space battle. Yes. Which yeah, I very, really, oh, yeah. really liked that space battle. That was just. <laughs> so abs- what I loved about Rogue One was that it did swarms of TIE fighters, which is exactly how TIE fighters should, should operate. Be. Yeah, exactly. That's why in the fi- in the Fantasy Flight board games, you actually have a card that's called Swarm, and you have it in Armada, and you also have it in X-Wing. And what it means is that when all the TIE fighters are together, they look out for each other and they attack as one, you know? And that is a way to kind of tie it back in <laughs> to cardboard. <laughs> yeah, I did I did think that watching it. I was like, wow, these guys have really played X-Wing. Absolutely. They've been playing like, the These cards. guys have definitely played that oh, game. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, it was good. I really, I really, really liked that. I really, really like that. Okay, well, um, I guess there's only a couple of things left to do. Um, the first thing is to thank you so, so very much for coming on, having a chat, and me making you angry <laughs> on the way out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know, I just like thank you and wholeheartedly apologise for probably, you know, getting you in a nice comfortable place and then completely destroying it by mentioning bad movies for the last kind of 15 20 minutes so you know i uh, <laughs> but thank you very very much for um thank you very very much for coming on and um as i say we will be making sure that your website and any other links will be mentioned in the show notes so we have kind of notes to show um there're only a couple of things left to do um, and the first thing, as always, is to remember that we are many things, but we're not wizards. We're or, not wizards. We're not wizards. Are we wizards, Stephen? Uh, I don't think so. Last time I checked, no, we were not wizards. I don't think so. But you do a bit of magic with the old keyboard. 
I must admit. I do try. I do try. Yeah. Sometimes my spells go wrong and I miscast and <laughs> terrible some... things come out. But... <laughs> you do some wrong spelling, which is just the worst pun ever. Uh, I do I do a lot of wrong spelling. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, yeah, seriously, like, thank you for having me on and, and for having a wonderful chat with me. It's been a lot of fun. It's been, no, I've really, really enjoyed it. And the second thing is to um, is to say goodbye. So it is a it is a goodbye from the fantastic Mr. Stephen Rhodes. Thank you so much. Goodbye, everybody. And it's a goodbye from me. Stay safe. Roll sixes. And watch bad movies on occasion just for the just for the story. <laughs> yes, do that. So you can learn how not to do it. And check out Stephen's stuff. Get on his blog. Follow him on Twitter. Because the stuff he does is very, very, very good indeed. But until, you, <laughs> but until next time, goodbye. <laughs>